0: morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Nine stages down, Taddeys in yellow, Wout's in green, some would say the Tour de France is over. And they would be wrong. Joining me to run through all the drama so far at the Tour de France is my very hungover co-host, Tom. Tom, how are you?
1: Uh, there was no need to reveal that to everyone else. So I'm I've recovered a lot more than when I last spoke to you. Uh, but I think the question is, uh, well, not how are you, where are you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also not feeling as sharp as I usually am, Tom. I've spent eight hours in a car today driving down <laughs> to the Alps. Um, so, yeah, I'm in a nice, as you can, well, you can see, the, the listener can't see, but we'll describe it to them on a very wooden sort of chalet in the Alps. And picture what you're imagining that wooden chalet to look like, and that is exactly what it looks like um, just outside of Alberville, up a little coal around here um ready for the next few stages which i to be honest I haven't had a chance to look at so let's hope Tom that you can tell me a bit about what's going to happen in those stages a bit later on um before we get into it here Tom I need to say that we were a bit wrong about this first week we thought there was going to be a few boring stages particularly that one between Dunkirk and Calais and that one's probably been one of the best ones so far
1: yeah I mean that was a that was a great finish on that one and yeah just I've, sort of similar to the first week last year that just the racing's been full gas every day. Uh, there's always someone who seems up for it and will just ruin the day for the
0: rest of the peloton. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, I mean, maybe it's because, maybe it's the Netflix effect. This is what I'm thinking. Is it the Netflix effect? Is it the fact that they're obviously there, they're filming the race. Wout van Aert has thought, you know, just for those people that are only going to watch the first few episodes, <laughs> let me really make a name for myself in this first week before they get bored and tune out.
1: I don't know, because with Wout van Aert, I get the feeling he could have, he can do this, Whenever he wants, basically. Uh, he's definitely the most versatile bike rider I've ever seen. So I, just, I don't think there's any stage where he would go in and think,
0: I can't win this today. It's interesting you say that, Tom, because I know on this podcast, we often you know, force ourselves into opposing camps <laughs> where I am Team Wild Van Aert and you are Team Mattia van der Poel, And it is with immense pride, Tom, that I can say to you that van der Poel is officially cooked he is finished.
1: Uh, he's not. He's not got the legs at the moment, has he? He might uh, now that he's got through to this rest day. Let's see. Uh, I'll say this: he'll pull out the race now. But hopefully, he um, can uh, can spend tomorrow recovering and the legs start to come back to him later in the race. Um, shall
0: we start at the start, Tom? Uh, best place for it: Stage One, Time Trial, Copenhagen. Matthew Vanderpool actually rode quite well in that time so yeah, actually, I, <laughs> I take back everything I said he did really well in that one yeah um what are your main takeaways from that one
1: uh I thought it was interesting with the weather I, um it was sort of like watching an F1 qualifying during the rain and you're waiting for the road to dry out because I think the people who went out later definitely had an advantage um and then yeah just don't think It's not really great analysis because I think it's the same for everyone. No one really
0: thought Eve Lampart was going to come through and win that stage. Did they? No. And I bet the one person that did is feeling very, very smart. (laughs) I think there were a few things that stage. There was obviously the, the wet, there was the fact that Stefan Bissiger crashed twice in the first 20 minutes Mm. of the race, um, which I would say was funny because he's fine from it. Funny about that is that Jonathan Bortus was like, it's nothing to do with the tire pressure. We were running the same tire pressure as everyone else he just basically doesn't do course recons and decided to go full gas at it on wet on wet painted roads on wet roads yeah um Garrett thomas in the gilet now this is something that we've slightly forgotten about <laughs> since then and i had to spare a thought for our friend dan bigham who was in copenhagen with team ineos uh the ineos grenadiers i should say um helping them with their aerodynamics and he must have had to have a conversation with Garrett thomas after the race and try and I mean, I imagine Dan, Dan's a very friendly guy, a very lovely guy, but I imagine he was a bit fuming about that and had to kind of like passively say, oh, don't worry, G, it's fine. Like, it won't make too much difference, knowing full well that it's lost to about 30 seconds.
1: Knowing how Dan feels about, you know, grams and milliseconds. Uh, yeah, that gilet can't have been, although this is what this was what I wanted you to do. He's passing that gilet around the tour now. If you're there, you've got to go and get your hands on it.
0: Yeah. And look, it's already been around like eight <laughs> days on other people's shoulders. I'm not sure I want to hold it. <laughs> um, um,
1: yeah. Uh, he did say it, it was washed after he after he cycled in it, at least.
0: But he was pissing it down with rain, so I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we waltzed at the fastest time, and we all thought, this is it, he's winning. Yeah. Conditions dry a bit, Eve Lamper comes out. Very few had him for the first yellow jersey, and I had a flashback at that moment when he won it. To the Tour of Britain last year in Edinburgh, Tom,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when I interviewed Yves Lamper at the finish line. And I'll be honest, I didn't know much about I knew I knew who Yves Lamper was as a very good domestique. Um, I didn't know much of his Palmares. So I asked him uh, for the record, the former national road champion and at the time current TT champion of Belgium, <laughs> um, where his win in Edinburgh in the Tour of Britain ranked on his Palmares. And I was like, I must be near the top, mustn't it, Eve? Um, And he looked back at me blankly and gave a stock answer like, yeah, every win is special eh?" here. And now he's won the yellow jersey, and I feel like the ultimate idiot for asking him that. But I almost wished I could have been there to ask him the same question again. Go and find him. He can't be far from you now. That's true, actually. Maybe I could just ambush him. Um,
1: He's committed it to memory.
0: (laughs) Um, let's move on then. Stage two. Stage two. Um, I've not got many notes on this one, Tom. I've written dull stage, but Danes were good, three deep along the entire route.
1: Yeah. Oh, the crowds were the best part of it. And that bridge uh for the final 18k was very impressive. But as a stage, it was more or less just a regulation sprint, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, let's let's merge stages two and three here. Um, you sent me a message at the time when this was happening. And it was something that I thought was very insightful, Tom. And you said, these sprints are very cagey because the sprinters are launching so late.
1: They have been, yeah. Um, I, I think it's the, it's the ta- sprinting so competitive at the moment. There's obviously in this race, uh, Fabio Jacobson won stage two, Dylan Grunewagen won stage three. You've got Caleb Ewan, you've got Philips in there. It's, you know, And obviously, Wout van Aert's taking sprints when he fancies it as well. Um, so the level of competition that there is in these sprints is incredible. And I just don't think they, they want that lead out until the last possible second. And they are not moving out of the slipstream until I've never seen it. So like 200, 150
0: before the line. It must be what the way they're training is like, right. Well, what we're going to do is just be the fastest over a hundred meters. Yeah. And we'll go from there because they probably know that a longer sprint, Walt Van Aert is probably the strongest on that because of his abilities to sustain efforts from cyclocross so they're probably thinking right well let's just hold it to the line keep our lead out right until there and then launch and go crazy but i mean that just gives way to chaos
1: that's normally what you get in the first week of the tour of france you get a massive crash somewhere and mark cavendish dropped out the race is what
0: happens normally um
1: but thankfully that's not really happened so far either has it
0: we've come close a few times we've had a few calls of deviations Mm. um I mean, I would challenge anybody who calls for those deviations to sprint in a straight line with 200 kilometers in their legs <laughs> at 75, 80 kilometers an hour. Yeah, it's it's getting a bit cagey, and I feel glad that we don't have sprints for a while now.
1: No, as you said, we well, we're truly in the mountains now. But before that, we've we then had the the first rest day, an early rest day uh, to allow them to actually get the race into France.
0: So it was a travel day. It, I, I don't think they're classing it as a rest day. I think they could consider it a travel day. And I think it was a bit chaotic for everybody because I know a lot of the people that were involved in the race, a lot of the TV companies basically couldn't like fly. There were flights out of Copenhagen or out of Sonderberg. Yeah. Um, and they like, the last ones were like midnight. So there were people that were knackered, like a lot of journalists I know that were very tired. Um, and then the riders had to make their way there, and I think they were going there in the team buses. I was say um, it can't be that difficult
1: um, to get from Denmark to France. They're not miles and miles
0: apart, aren't they? Well, no, but I think it's it's a fair few hours. I mean, I should we, we should have done our research here and looked up how long it is. I'm doing but, that now. Yeah, go on, have a look. From Sonderburg. is that how you say it? Sons, it's probably not because I found out this week that it's court not magnus court
1: they just don't pronounce consonants in danish that's what i've been told yeah. they just don't bother with them <laughs> yeah uh from anyway that place in denmark to dunkirk is a nine hour drive
0: oh is it right well you yeah. can take that what you said then.
1: <laughs> that seems all right you've got
0: not you've got 36 hours to do it yeah yeah no 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 no, we are not going to do it right up until the start then are they will stop for a sandwich <laughs> i'm sure you've got some rides with very weak bladders Especially with the amount of energy gels that they're taking on. <laughs> we have to stop quite a few times. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Oh, um, well,
1: they have to go around the Antwerp Ring Road as well, which is the worst road in the world. I can promise you that. So, uh,
0: there's, is there a story there?
1: Just when my family used to go on holiday, we used to sit for hours uh, going in circles around Antwerp because of traffic and getting lost. It's the worst road ever.
0: Well, there you go. I'm sure they planned ahead for that. <laughs> um, when they eventually arrived, they probably thought they were in for quite a chill day between Dunkirk and Calais in the north, Pad Calais, the northeast, the north, yeah, northeastly corner of France. And it seemed to be, after we had said, after we'd skipped over it in our preview, the stage that has probably been raced the hardest the whole of this tour.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think whenever it's coastal, I also want to say that it's northwest,
0: not northeast. But um, I think when it's
1: coastal... And it is
0: in the northeast of France. No, that's like, Strasbourg's the east, this is the other side. No, it's not. This is Dunkirk and Calais.
1: Yeah, on the left. That's the east. Yeah, but it's it's west.
0: The w- west of the region. Oh, the, of the region or of France? I'm talking of the entire country. So am I. It's... <laughs> Dunkirk is not in the west of France. Yeah, it is. Am I? Getting, are we? Why? Why are we not getting this? That is the west of France. Right. I'm getting a map up.
1: The east. France goes much further east than than Calais. You've got to go down through
0: Belgium to the German border. That's right. the east. I've searched Dunkirk and it's just bringing up a film. Right. That's the
1: Harry Styles film, isn't it?
0: Dunkirk map. Here we go. Right, this Alpine Wi-Fi is not helping too much here. I'm, I'm going to be willing to concede this if you're right here, Tom.
1: Well, I'm going to get a Wikipedia article up and see what it says where Dunkirk
0: is. It says northern France. There's going to be some, you know, french geographers listening to this
1: i'll be honest screaming well, i see their palms i assume we're going to cut this out but um it's <laughs> if you if you draw a line down the middle of france it's pretty much central
0: well if it's that then we'll, we'll shake on it and call it a truce okay right okay we'll concede with both for again i think we're getting <laughs> sidetracked on that one um something that infuriated me at that stage time more than i thought it would was the breakaway um the breakaways have been pretty poor at this toilet front. apart from Stage nine, that Bob Youngles one, where we had like a twenty-something man breakaway. This Which was stage, today's stage, as we record, as we record. Yeah. Um. This stage, stage four. It was just, it was the first stage in France. You're thinking B and B, Cofidis, send someone up the road. <laughs> We're on national TV here in France, French roads. Nothing. It was Malnus Corps and Anthony Perez, and I'm thinking, oh wait, Cofidis, that is Anthony Perez, isn't it? So I'm maybe yeah. <laughs> may, maybe Arkea then. Um, take it back, Coffee Um But yeah, I was like, come on, send someone out there, do something.
1: Yeah, it's really not played into my thoughts when we talk about our fantasy Tour de France teams because I had I had built a team full of breakaway merchants and the breaks just aren't happening.
0: Well, I mean, no, you've you've built a team built around Tim Wellens and Lotto <laughs> Sud- Lotto Soudal isn't happening, is what's happened there.
1: Um. I had Kemner uh, up the Planche de Belfi. I was absolutely heartbroken.
0: Yeah, you had Kemner and I had Pogarcher captains. So, um, <laughs> it, it honestly, it flipped. Like, the whole thing flipped like that in a second. And uh, fortunately, it was in my favour.
1: Oh, horrible. Um, anyway, yeah. So, the break was very disappointing. Until 10k to go, they get near Calais and Wout van Aert just launches and time trials away.
0: Yeah, it was obviously very coordinated because we had... Nathan Van Hooydonk, who has been sublime in this first week. Um, was it him or was it Christophe Laporte?
1: Ah, I thought it was Tish Benut was up there as well. Tish Benut thing.
0: as well. Yeah. Those three. We'll give the three. We'll give them all the credit. It was like a team attack. They've been phenomenal. Mm. And they just blew it up at the front. They had everybody suffering apart from, obviously, Walt Van Art, Jonas Vingegaard, and Adam Yates was managing to stick on. And then Walt Van Art clicked into that extra mode that he has. And just full send to the finish. I think somebody said, I think Dan Lloyd might have said on GCN that he averaged 62 kilometers an hour for the last 10 K.
1: I think they knew it was tailwind in and it was just the best conditions to just solo your way home. Um, there's n- with the wind behind you, there weren't many who would just,
0: who can go any faster. Yeah. And I think what, what that happened was it proved to us what I think we already knew, which is jumbo Visma is the strongest team at this tour de France, but. That doesn't really mean much when they're up against Tadej Pogacar.
1: It's been unfortunate, I know, and two days in a row. That's um, the stage from banche banche <laughs> uh,
0: to to. Yeah, if, if anything comes out of this Tour de France, this first week is that I've got a new favourite word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm chuffed with it. And I, it's just the sort of thing you can just you know you stood in a lift somewhere waiting to go up level five, please just mutter that word under your breath that's
1: just a horrible french nasal vowel isn't it that's, that's
0: it. it comes from the roof of your mouth right in the back of your throat Bang. Yeah, it's... anyway it's out it's I, I go with it it sounds like a swear word and i think that's why i like saying it so much
1: <laughs> oh i don't um i have skipped a stage there because we haven't really talked about the cobbles either
0: yeah um we also haven't talked about jasper phillipson celebrating t- over the line when he came second oh that was funny you
1: love to see it when that happens, when someone's got it completely wrong like that. And I think he took it quite well. He did tweet well afterwards
0: and go, uh, oh, yeah, as you can see, I was very happy to come second. Well, this is the thing. You come second. The worst thing that happens is you do a jokey tweet and you get a massive media presence for it. I don't know. How... It's only a win-win.
1: You know, the last time we've seen this happen is at the Olympics and stuff um, when... They've got no radios, but, but I don't know how in the Tour de France someone didn't tell him.
0: Yeah, and also at the Olympics, <laughs> we're talking Anna Kiesenhofer winning and anna van Vluten. Yeah. Uh, anna Kiesenhofer wasn't 30, 50 metres up the road in a fluorescent yellow. Well, there's that as field, well. She?
1: You, could, you could see him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he messed it up a bit there, but good for him. You know, I hope he does win a stage this tour, otherwise that picture is not going to last very long.
1: But yeah uh well then art took that flapped his arms over the line like a bird i don't really know what the message was there but it was i, so, I
0: couldn't do that on a bike it's very simple that message tom and it's a sponsorship thing he's no. think of who think of who what design he has on his helmet i got it yeah do you want to tell it, the listener oh okay yeah he has a red bull helmet doesn't he and, and what does that do? A Red Bull gives you wings. There you go. And welcome, i go. had wings. So I'm sure somewhere there's some marketing executive at Red Bull who was very pleased with him for doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, hopefully, everyone else watching was a little more perceptive than I was, because I've did. i only just realized that now.
0: So. Well, that's why people come to this podcast, Tom. They <laughs> yeah. want the, uh, the inside track on the pro peloton.
1: Following day, complete carnage, as it always is on the cobbles.
0: Yeah, I've got um, something to say about this, Tom. Go on. I don't think the cobbles have got the place in the Tour de France. And look. Incorrect.
1: You're... Incorrect.
0: Okay, right. Let's have a little debate here. Because I was very much on your side of that of this argument before this Tour de France. I was like, Cobbles, great fun, get them in, mess it up. Uh I was gonna say a swear word then, but I decided not to. This is a family show. Um, but it messes it up a bit too much, man. Like Jack Haig got hurt, Michael Gogol was he broke his collarbone and his pelvis and he was in intensive care for a night with artery damage. Daniel Oss broke his vertebrae broke a vertebrae in his neck um in that crash where he kind of like headbutted a fan. Um now I'm surprised that the riders don't kick up more of a fuss when this turns up in the route because it So you'd cancel Paris Roubaix then as well. I'm so glad you bring that up, Tom, because I was prepared for this argument. Um, Paris-Roubaix is a race where they can choose to compete in it if they would like. For this, they don't really have a choice. Like These riders are not experienced on cobbles, do not want to ride cobbles, do not plan on riding cobbles, do not have cobbles in their calendar, and now being forced to do it because their GC race or, you know, like Jack Haig, or the race that they um, would like to do. I'm saying that assuming that Jack Jack Haig didn't do Paris-Roubaix this year. Um but yeah, it's just, it's not really fair. And you, the argument is that it's only 20K of cobbles. But you know, 500 meters of cobbles is enough for Michael Gergel to be in intensive care.
1: I like the cobbles. But I think if you want to win races like the Tour de France, you've got to be good overall surfaces. You know, it's the same as the sprinters coming and saying it shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have any mountains in the race.
0: Right. Is that the argument you're going to? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, I mean, I just hope with that, I put forward a fairly compelling argument to say, if riders are having to end their season because of you being a massive sadist and wanting some cobbles in the race, um, then I hope you can sleep at night with that.
1: just going to say that uh, Jack Haye did not ride Paris-Roubaix this year either.
0: Did he not? Well, I'm not
1: surprised <laughs> just, because he doesn't just, want to do the cobbles until uh, just, Christian Proulx forces him to. <laughs> so he's done Amstel Gold, flesch liege Liege-Bastogne-Liege. Um, yeah, he did the Ardennes and
0: uh, those, were his, those were his classics. There you go. Um we knew he would be kind of decisive on that stage and he was but not at the prickly end of it he was decisive in salvaging the race for his team his team had a m- I mean, after going the day before being the strongest team in the race they then went to the most kind of like comedic like road show sort of team
1: um, that picture will live long in the memory of everyone but it just went so badly wrong Um, twice in quick succession to the extent where they you know they couldn't really divide their resources roglic is stuck at the side of the road um popping his own shoulder back into place uh while wout has got to be there to to rescue um jonas vingugo
0: see what i mean look rider safety tom prioritize rider safety and we don't have this carnage
1: i disagree i think done properly uh you should be fine over the cobbles
0: Okay. And one person that was fine, uh, as I think we all expected, was Tade Pogacar, who is never affected by crashes. Apart from, I think, on stage eight, I think he came down in a crash, but was absolutely fine. Very
1: briefly, absolutely fine. He, um, yeah, he's always at the front end of the race. Tactically, his positioning as individually seems to be just incredible and nothing bad comes his way when you consider what happens to other riders. Roglic finishes these races a completely broken man having hit the deck twice a day for three weeks and Tade just sort of cruises around wins the race and then you know floats away
0: I actually look this is the thing I think and because of that he just never he never seems tired I think he's probably the cheekiest GC rider we have ever had just every after every race he just like meets somebody at the finish line got a really cheeky grin on his face he's kind of like his tufts in his hair it's all it's all a game to him
1: I did get a text from a friend, I think it was after the Planche de Belfide, and he just said like it would be a lot easier to hate Tadde if he wasn't so likable. Yeah, I agree. Like, he he just seems to be a nice guy.
0: Yeah, but he's he's this is the thing, he's a nice guy, but he is so violent on that bike.
1: Oh, uh, as I've already mentioned Kemna, that was that was heartbreaking to me. I just want to uh quickly go back and I don't want to finish on that cobbled stage without mentioning that Simon Clark won it, having been out of contract at the beginning of the season.
0: So that was a big day for him. That was a massive day for him and a massive day for Israel Premier Tech, who, even after he won that, I was thinking, what are they doing at this race? Like, they've they've not got a GC contender, really. Was it supposed to be Jakob Fulsang? Because he's not really doing anything.
1: He hasn't so far. They've obviously got Froome there, haven't they? But he's.
0: Well, we thought Froome would be getting in breaks and stuff, and he never got yeah. in a break on stage nine, where the big break went, where he could have maybe had a chance. Yeah, um, and then Simon Clark obviously makes it a very good race for them by winning the uh, the toughest stage we've had so far I guess
1: yeah and then it starts going uphill the following two days, two uphill finishes, two wins for Tadej Pogacar
0: yeah it's uh, pretty two very
1: different forward. uphill finishes but yeah
0: yeah. so the one to Longwee, let's start with that one uh, because it came first <laughs> um, the longest stage of the race finished in a place called Longwee, now I don't know if anyone else has made that connection but i think that's very clever from the race organizers to do that
1: I hadn't made that connection
0: yeah because some people aren't as astute tom but um evidently do you think that's very clever route planning or do you think that's a, a funny coincidence
1: uh I did not realize this because i don't remember it being there before but you know along with quite common commonly hosts finishes um they were talking about uh you know the whoever it was on comms at the time saying the last time the race finished here when uh, I can't remember who it was that won, and I, but I remember, I was I, I'm watching that stage and I have no memory of the race ever coming through here before.
0: <laughs> um, with that stage, again, we had Wout van Aert being a giant narcissist and making it all about himself. Um, in the yellow jersey, he goes off the front into the breakaway um, and everyone's like, what on earth is he doing? Now, I think there's a very clever reason for him doing this. And I, I think I heard this somewhere else, so I'm not going to claim it as my own, Um I think he did it to help his team out. And I think, Tom, you will now be saying, but how can he help his team out if he's in the break? Well, oh, you're nodding. So are you on the same wavelength as me here?
1: Uh, No, I want to hear your explanation.
0: Okay. How can he help his team out while he's in the break? The answer is simple. His team don't have to look after him. They know that in the long run, he is not their GC hope. So if he gets out of the way, it means they're in the pack they don't have to shelter him they don't have to look after him they don't have to look out for where he is and the same what and for the same reason usually it's custom that the yellow jersey team pulls on the front but if the yellow jersey's up the road they'll say we're not going to pull on the front because our riders up the road so we're not going to close them down so they don't have to do any work on the front
1: as an explanation that makes complete sense and i am prepared to agree with you thank you very much i'm glad we've come back tom <laughs> but yeah no you're right he um it was weird seeing it at the time because there were plenty of opportunities when he could have dropped back when his companions did as well. And he he just emptied the tank and obviously didn't win the stage.
0: Pogaccio won the stage. Yeah. Um, beating Michael Matthews in a sprint, which was uh, unexpected. Yeah. And we, look, I posted on our Twitter and a lot of people have come back to us and said, well, he beat him in a stage because it's uphill. It's an uphill sprint. And I was like, get over it. It's fine. He beat him in a sprint is what happened. He put 10 bike legs into Michael Matthews. Who has actually been going quite well at this tour?
1: He's come second twice now, hasn't he?
0: Yeah. Um, let's move on to stage seven. time. we're rattling through these. The Planche des Belles Filles, the Plank of the Beautiful Girls. Cam- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I laughed because
1: I knew. I know. I obviously I know what that translation means, but it does sound very weird when you put it in English.
0: Yeah, I, I don't even want to begin to know what where it comes from and what it means. I'm sure <laughs> it's something very you know inconspicuous and fine and kind, but I'm not interested. Um, Leonard Kamner, unreal ride heartbreak at the end.
1: I thought he was going to do it. Um, I really did. And then his legs just seemed to blow up from underneath. It did look like he was really struggling towards the end. And then you've got the two best climbers in the world, probably
0: at the moment, coming up behind you. Yeah, I I think it was that last steep ramp, which looked so (laughs) steep on the TV. (laughs) On the gravel as well. It was like, it it reminded me of the Merdewey, but like a seven kilometre long Merdewey.
1: Every time they come up the Planche de Belfie, I I know what's there because I've seen it before, and I'm still just astounded that, A, they only found it so recently, well, 10 years ago was the first time it was in, and, uh, yeah, I'm just shocked every time at how steep it is. I'm going, I don't remember it being this awful.
0: It's absurd. I mean, it's, it's like the sort of climbs we get here in, like, the Peak District or the Yorkshire Dales are just incredibly steep with a little bit of gravel on them just to make it harder so that you can't get out of the saddle. Um, but this one's obviously a lot longer and I think what was interesting about that stage was it was the first time in this Tour de France where we've actually seen UAE look like a well organised GC team
1: It's I found that strange because uh, the narrative seems to have been that they are not a strong GC team that, that they haven't really got the same level of support available for Pogacar that Jumbo can give to um, to whoever they want to be their leader Roglic or Vingigo and um, and I look at that UAE team and I think it's full of some great, great climbers,
0: some great domestiques in there. See, I agree with you, but I think man for man, Yumbo and Ineos are still stronger. And we'll come on to this because this is a question I want to put to you in a bit, which is how do you beat Tali Pogacar? And spoiler alert, the clue lies in the domestiques. Um, but yeah, we had McNulty and Rafael Micah putting in some good terms. Micah, that bit where he kind of waved Pogacar through was maybe a bit dramatic, but I enjoyed it.
1: I would say that's just your your standard tactics on the climb. Just get your train of men up there and one by one, just tow it up the hill until, yeah, final K, let the big man go and race it out with, well, with
0: Vingo as it was. Do you know who else was in the mix on the at the end of that stage time?
1: Uh, well, yes, but I don't know who you're thinking of.
0: Try and guess from past experience and my general...
1: Oh, okay, so Roman Bardi. Sport. Roman
0: Barde. Isn't he going well? He is going well. I, I will concede that. He does look uh, to be on good form. Wait. What will happen is that some sometime this week, something terribly tragic is going to happen to him. Um, he'll be involved in a crash or something, or he'll have some awful mechanical and it won't go his way. But, you know, while it's happening at the moment, I'm riding high and I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, and his progress through the race has been quite serene at the moment. I think compared, you know, he, he's one of the riders you expect, as you say, some sort of catastrophe to happen, especially when you over the cobbles or something. And um, so far, so good.
0: Well, we'll have him. We'll have him in the mix on Paris-Roubaix next year. Trust me, he's changing. <laughs> it's, it's DSM, Roman Bardet. He's he's changing into a more well-rounded, mature rider. And uh, yeah, I'm here for it. And I've been here since day one. And I'm. You know, listeners of this podcast... Yeah, I know, you yeah know you're that. the only one who's been there since day once. <laughs> yeah. I've actually, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use a very strong term here, um, but I'm going to be on outdoors in four days from now. When this goes out, it'll be three days. It'll be this Thursday coming. Um, and the last time I was on outdoors was 2018, and I think that was the day that I fell in love with Roman Bardet.
1: Oh, I'm sure you were
0: talking about him before then. <laughs> I'm sure, no i was but i think that was the day where it really solidified it when i saw him out in the saddle attacking he attacked like the group like four times and i was like this is the sort of rider i want to get behind not get behind get behind you know what i mean yeah no one was going there sorry okay <laughs> let's get back to this stage um pog wins the stage right and then he finishes the stage a uh, one question quiz for you here tom mm-hmm. what did taddy pogacha do? After winning on the Planche des Belles Filles. And I've got three options for you. Um, yeah, right. Well, I need the options. Did he A launch a cancer research foundation? Did he B release his first batch of NFTs? Or did he C rap in French on French television?
1: I think I know the answer because I think I read this. Go on. So I think he launched a Cancer found Research Foundation.
0: He did. And it plays into what you were saying a second ago, where you just he's just so likable. And I would love to hate him, but you can't, because he's such a good boy.
1: So far, he's just, yeah, not really done anything wrong, has he? He just
0: wins the races. He wins that race. And then he goes and sits like on the edge of the podium with his girlfriend that he hasn't seen for a while and then launches a Cancer Foundation. And I'm like, oh, protect this boy. He's so precious.
1: <laughs> following day, which was now yesterday... Well, then,
0: Art wins again. Yeah, but we had a bit of drama before that. We had um, our good friend Fred Wright out front, which was wonderful to see.
1: Yeah, really good. He's having a a good race.
0: He's he's in my fantasy Tour de France team, Fred. If you're listening, he's in mine as well. Um, Please, please get him more breaks. (laughs) (laughs) But I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought last year at the Tour de France, we saw Fred in a solid domestique role, and I'm sure if you look at his stage finishes and that, it was probably around like seventieth or something every single stage because he was just rolling in with the group apart from one time trial where I think he got like 21st or something. Um, But this stage, they've obviously given him a bit more license to be like, hey, Fred, you go up there. You've plied your trade now. You go up there, make a name for yourself, get some fans, get some attention on the TV. And he got a lot of attention and we're here giving him more attention.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it just goes to show the way he's obviously cemented his role in the team. He's more confident within himself and his status amongst the team. And it must show that the team obviously value him. So
0: good news all round. Great news all round. Um, Walfner wins the stage, obviously, but I think the narrative thread between stages eight and nine was a very Thibaut Pino shaped thread. And he has obviously not listened to our preview episode where I clearly say that he is going to win on Alpe d'Huez on the 14th of July on Thursday because he, if, he, if he'd listened, he would know that he's not worth wasting his time on these two stages.
1: Well, he gave it a good go today, didn't he?
0: He did. And this, this comes a day after he was punched in the face by a soigneur, um <laughs> on stage eight. Uh, no, nothing malicious, obviously. The Swanya was handing out a musette and Tebow got on the wrong side of the rider that was receiving the musette uh, and took a fist in the chin. Um, and obviously, Tebow being Timo, it was very much, woe is me, why does this always happen to me? Um... Sorry, that's that's quite rude, isn't it? Maybe I shouldn't have said it like that.
1: No, that he does that is the sort of aura that surrounds him, isn't it? That is everyone seems to view him in that light.
0: But that he, that's just the aura that he kind of projects onto himself. But I think we're all so ready to follow it. He's like, Whoa, it's me, why does this always happen to me? And we're like, Why does this always happen to Tebow?
1: He does just seem to be the uh personification of just sort of French disappointment or deception.
0: Right. I'm sure he'd love that written on his gravestone. No,
1: but you know, he's one of the like, he was, he is the big hope of French cycling and has been for years. And he's clearly good enough to win
0: these things. And it just looks like it'll never happen for him. I think it's, he just absolutely smacks of desperation, which is mm. the issue at the moment. <laughs> and once he realizes that the outdoor stage is for him, then he'll calm down and then he'll be a bit more relaxed. And that is what we'll see on Thursday. After these two stages, you know, today, he was off on one, going after Bob Jungles, who eventually won the stage time trial to the finish, basically, with like a 50, 60K off the front. And Thibaut's chasing him and couldn't quite get there. There was a descent. Obviously, there's no descent on Arpdua, so he's not going to lose time on that. Um, but yeah, it's coming. It is coming.
1: And then, but even today, it gets reeled in by Castro Viejo. And um, who was it? Who was with him? Hispanic movie star? know.
0: Yeah. It. But it was, it, that whole scenario was just so Tibo Pino, wasn't it? The fact that <laughs> yeah. he's off chasing for the race win and he finishes off the podium. Yeah. <laughs> and you can imagine him on the team bus afterwards just like punching cushions or something that are in his sight and being like, oh, Mario, why does this always happen to me? He's like, your time will come, Thibaut. It will come. Alpe d'Huez. Thursday. Thursday, Alpe d'Huez, Thibaut Pino. I, I'm going to keep saying it because it's gonna happen and I want it on record. Okay, I'm I'm very excited for Thursday. As am I, I'm gonna be there, Tom. I know, to watch Thibaut win. To watch Thibaut well, I don't know if i get all the way to the top, because um, the issue with Thomas is with these mountain stages and a lot of people here will be thinking, oh, I'd love to go to a Tour de France mountain stage and I would love to stand at the top of that hill, hill of that mountain, and um, watch Thibaut come over the finish line. But it's quite cold at the top of a mountain. And especially once you've ridden up in cycling gear, and it is sodden in the thirty degree French heat, sodden in sweat. Um, and the thing about sweat and sports clothes is it gets cold very quickly. That's so I think I'll go up.
1: That's that's why it happens.
0: Yeah, I'll descend back down. I'll watch him come through the orange clouds on on um, Dutch Corner.
1: As I was gonna say, the Dutch guys would have been there for three days by then. So.
0: And then I'm going to be an infuriating bit of company going round. And anybody who's willing to listen to me, I'm going to be like, "Excuse me, have you heard that Thibaut Pino is going to win today?" <sighs>
1: Right. I'm looking forward to Thursday less and less.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Tom, I hear that you've got a quiz from me. I have. Um,
1: So, yeah, I was going through uh, the annals of Tour de France history and um, I've basically got a quiz for you on stage wins and stages of the Tour de France.
0: OK. How how old are we going here? Because I don't really know anything pre-2015.
1: So it's nothing like that. It's quite simple. I'm going to give you a list of countries, uh, well, three options, and you have to tell me which of these countries has won the most Tour de France stages.
0: All right. Okay, go on then.
1: And then I've, got, I've also got one little trivia question for you. So, Slovenia, Slovakia, Ireland. Which <laughs> one has won the
0: most Tour de France stages? Okay, right. Slovenia, Tali Pogacar, Primoz Roglic has won... Not many. Two or three. Uh, Pagarch has won I think like eight now or something. Does he want No, know? Has he won eight across three tours to France? Maybe. Um,
1: I will give you a clue here. Two of these countries have 13 stage wins and the other has
0: 14. Right, okay. Ireland, we're looking at Sean Kelly here. And Slovakia, we're looking at essentially just Peter Sagan. But there was also Stephen Roche for Ireland, so I'm going to go... Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett, Ireland. Oh. <laughs> Have you just baited me into saying the wrong answer? Uh, what's
1: your final answer? Ireland. Ireland is correct.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought when you added Sam Bennett in, that was to tip me over the edge, and then you were going to say, actually, Peter Sagan's won 14 stages.
1: No, I, I, I do... I, I think Slovakia might be all Sagan. Uh, But yeah, Slovenia and Slovakia are currently tied on 13. I don't imagine that will remain the case for much longer.
0: That's a big battle, isn't it? We'll see how that one plays out.
1: So, next we have Great Britain, Luxembourg,
0: Switzerland. Okay, right. Let's think through the the protagonists here. So Great Britain, Gareth Thomas, Chris Froome. Chris Froome as Great Britain, obviously. Um, Yeah. Simon Philip Yates.
1: i actually got to update this question because Luxembourg have got one more stage win as of today as well. They <laughs> do, actually. Yeah. Does, that, does
0: that change it at all? It doesn't change it, though. Right, I don't think Luxembourg are, are winning this one. Uh, what was the third one? Great Britain, Luxembourg, Switzerland. Switzerland, Fabian Cancellara. Are there any sprinters that Switzerland have had? I don't think it's Switzerland. I'm going to go Great Britain.
1: So, Switzerland, 61 Luxembourg, 71. Oh, we haven't got that many. Great Britain, 75.
0: <laughs> he wins again.
1: Get in. Denmark, Norway, Colombia.
0: Before we carry on, how, how many of these are there?
1: There are four of these. Okay.
0: Denmark, <laughs> Norway, Colombia. Um, Norway, what's that? Alexander Kristoff. I'm basically just narrowing it down to like three riders and then seeing which one I think is the best of the three. Hushovd. Yeah, Christoph Torushoft, um versus Quintana versus Denmark, which is who's, which Danish riders have won stages? Volta, is the, the, one enti- stage? the entire Quick Step team, as we said in our. <laughs> I'm going to go, Colombia didn't really come to cycling until the 90s. So I'm going to go Norway. Want- Final answer? Yes.
1: Norway have 19. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> That's a lot fewer than I was hoping it would be. Denmark, 21. Oh, dear. Colombia, like 40 or something. Now, Columbia, me? 22. Ah, okay. Well, good for them. They've had a great few decades. So the
1: final one, we have the USA, Australia, Canada.
0: Now, I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure every listener at home is thinking. And do the last stages count here? I will have to go back and check my list. Uh, I am. Uh, I assume this is from Wikipedia, and I think Wikipedia will probably have cancelled out the last stages.
1: Yeah, I think they have all been taken away from him, so they probably don't count. And I'm trying to think of other American winners. Obviously, Greg Lemond must have had a few. Tyler Farrar did he win a few sprints? Maybe. I don't know. Levi
0: Leipheimer. Taylor Finney. Did Taylor Finney win anything? I don't think so. Uh, don't know. I know he's your favourite man in the world, but <laughs> I love Taylor Finney. Um, okay, right, so. USA, Australia, Canada. Was that it? Yes. Australia. Michael Matthews has won stages before, but not as many as you would think. Who else is there? Richard Port, has he won stages?
1: Uh, he must have done. Cadell Evans.
0: Cadell Evans. He's won stages. Uh,
1: Simon Gerrans.
0: Canada. We've got uh, Michael Woods. We've got not much else. Canada, I'm thinking bottom here. But I'm going to go the United States of America as the one of those three. Maybe it's not because that's the most obvious. No, I'm going to go with it. USA. So
1: Canada, that you said was bottom. Is it? Has won one
0: Tour de France stage. Was that Michael Woods? What was that?
1: <laughs> I, I, uh, I will find out when it was. It was uh stage wins by nationality. Canada's Tour de France stage win came a long time ago in 1988.
0: Oh, right. Okay, good. I've been waiting a while. Michael, put was put his finger out. <laughs> it was Steve Bauer. Ah, yes. The great Steve Bauer. So,
1: Canada, one. You I are correct that USA they are and
0: Australia certainly have more than that.
1: USA, 19.
0: Australia.
1: Australia. Have they
0: sprinters, don't they? Oh, it's the sprinters. It's 37. The, it's, the, it's the stat doping from the sprinters, isn't it? uh who are this oh, robbie McEwen must have taken loads robbie McEwen, yeah michael matthews okay right fair enough and now for one
1: final piece of trivia i would like you to tell me what is unique about the 1926 and 1999 tour de france tours de france
0: i'm not even going to correct that in the edit i'm going to leave that in tour de Frances. <laughs> um what is unique about the 1927 and the 2026
1: 20, 20, and 1999?
0: 1999. 1999 and 1926. What is unique about them? Um, did they not finish on the Champs-Élysées?
1: I don't know. 99 definitely did. So but I couldn't say about 26.
0: <laughs> what is unique about them? Is it who won them? Because I think that's the, the, the theory to the quiz here, isn't it?
1: No, also, does 99 have a winner?
0: Oh, okay. So, <laughs> no. Um, I don't know, Tom, what is unique about them?
1: The answer. They are the only two Tours de France in which a Frenchman has not won a single stage.
0: And we're thinking this time might be another one to that list. Uh, oh, no, not it's necessary. not, because it's not on Thursday, obviously. <laughs> so not For this sake. one. Okay, carry on. Um, How could I forget? How could I forget? That would
1: just happened to be something that came up when I was doing a little bit of digging through through history. Uh, there's two occasions on which a Frenchman has not won a stage at the Tour de France.
0: That's it. In, in, in over 100 years of the Tour de France, there's you can only see it in happening. Years. In
1: 1999, you know, cycling, big globalized sport. But in 1926, for a Frenchman not to win, it
0: was all That's won true. by. <laughs> And they make up ninety-five percent of the start list. There must have been it was mad all... Belgian that year or some mad. It was. Italians. It was all
1: Belgians and Luxembourg's uh Luxembourgs. Um how do you how do you what do you call someone from Luxembourg? Uh Luxembourgish. I think, yeah. Um Luxembourgians. luxembourgundian Somebody tweet
0: us with how to say this, please.
1: And um and there was one Italian winner as well, but otherwise it was all Belgium and Luxembourg.
0: <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Um, Tom, I'm gonna come back with a riddle for you. Oh no. How do you beat Taddy Pogacar at the Tour de France?
1: Now, you have told me there's an answer to this, but I'm not sure there is. I think if he's as strong as he is, um, you don't beat him.
0: That's a boring answer, isn't it, Tom? Because he's in yellow now and we've got to sell the next week and a half of the Tour de France.
1: Well, I know you're going to line it up now and tell me, um, I don't know, the one-two punch that uh, Jumbo can use is probably the best way to go about it.
0: Very easy, Tom, how to beat a And I am available for anybody on either of these teams that I'm about to mention for um, freelance consultancy. Um, but the answer is simple, Tom. Attack him. Nobody attacks him, apart from Vinyagar who attacked him on the planche. Now look at that planche stage. We're gonna let's take that as an example. Ineos didn't attack him at all. Ineos, I don't think, have attacked Talipagaca in these first nine stages.
1: I don't know if they can. If he sets a pace that is so relentless and then he's the only one who can go with it, how do you attack him?
0: So Ineos at the moment, right, have got four riders in the top 10. No, maybe not. Maybe not Danny Martinez. They did have four riders in the top 10 when I was doing this.
1: Martinez Um, was dropped today, wasn't he?
0: Okay, well.
1: fell out the back somewhere.
0: They've got Pidcock in seventh, Yates in fourth, and Thomas in third. Now, if you, as a team, if you coordinate those attacks and you say, right, we'll start with Pidcock, because he's the lowest down, so we'll attack with Pidcock from like the foot of a mountain. So let's take out Duez, 15 or 16 kilometres long, whatever it is, from about three k's up, if you let Pidcock attack, force Pogac to respond, burn off his domestiques, because I don't think Micah and McNulty can cover attacks all day. Um, burn them off. As soon as Pogac gets back on, counter with Adam Yates. And this, this is where the trick comes in, Tom. And this is something that people have been saying. You need Yumbo Visma and Ineos to team up here. So then when Adam Yates attacks and Pogacar covers that one, then you send Roglic.
1: Possibly, but the issue for me is I th- Pogacar seems to have the legs to just be able to take on five, six guys at once anyway.
0: Okay, and in, in which case, if he does manage to do that, then I will hold my hands up and say he is a rightful winner. But I think the, the answer is attack him, break his team, make him suffer yeah i mean there's not really many other options are there well the, the only person i think that he is actually genuinely concerned about at this tour de france is jonas vingega is jonas vingega um and i think Jonas know has got legs for a long-range attack here because we saw it last year on Mont Ventoux and we saw it on the planche des belles where he attacked him and
1: he has been able to hold him.
0: him off to of the line yeah um, that, I mean that's one of the times I have to say that's the time we've seen Taddy on the ropes, but he actually just blitzed past him at the last moment. So maybe not. <laughs> um but I think Jonas could really come. I mean, Taddy said it himself. He's the best climber in the world. He did say that after he just beat him on a climb there. But yeah, I think when it comes to the high mountains, Vinyagar, once we do all this, attack, 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 counter, 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 Vinyagar. play your trump card, attack him. Because I think there's a thing at the moment in cycling, which is that everybody likes Taddy Pogacar, obviously, but it's kind of tacit that everybody also wants Taddy Pogacar to lose. Yeah. Just to, just to prove well, that he's human.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, and Taddy, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, um, that's that's what people think of you, mate.
1: Well, we will find out next three days, three big days in the Alps, and there's a lot of climbing to come.
0: Yeah, and I'm concerned, Tom, because usually I watch these stages and I don't have to do any of the climbing. And <laughs> now I've actually got to do some of it. <laughs> um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, before before we do, Tom, I was just thinking another riddle I want you to solve for me. Mm-hmm. Do Jumbo have an issue here insofar as they're splitting the priorities between Jonas Vingegaard and Wout van Aert, yellow jersey, green jersey bid?
1: I don't think so. Yeah. Um... Not when Wout's already won three stages. Uh, You know, it's already a successful tour for them, even if they don't win the GC. And I think he's more or less been told, I don't think they are splitting their priorities. They're not giving Wout any support, are they? They're just sort of letting him go off and do his own thing.
0: So you've sold the rule correctly, Tom. I think I agree with you. I think Van Aert should just be let off on a leash and be like, right, you are your own team now. You are Wout Van Aert. If you want this green jersey, go and win it for yourself. You are strong enough to do that. And I think as a climbing team... They don't need him as a domestique. You've got Sepp Kuss, who we haven't admittedly seen at all in this Tour de France, probably because they're saving him for the high mountains. Van Hoydonk, Tish even Christophe Laporte's been helping up the climbs. Um, I don't oh, think like, they need... Who
1: else is in the team, yeah. Oh, Stephen
0: like as well, man. <laughs> but last time we came through um, up-out-Duez, he was the uh, out alone at the front. So he's got the legs for it. He enjoys that climb, especially with Dutch Corner. So I could see him getting a bit... Animated. Bit animated, yeah. yeah. Ready to go. Um, do you want to quickly run me through what's next, Tom? Because I'll be honest, I've been in the car for eight. I've been in the car for eight hours today, and I've not had a chance to look at any of the uh, the coming stages.
1: Yeah. So rest day tomorrow in Morzine. Morzine to Megève. Megève. Uh, Megève. Megève. Um, on Tuesday, Albertville. Host of the nineteen ninety two Winter Olympics to the Col du Granon summit finish on Wednesday and Briançon to Alpe d'Huez on Thursday, and then it sort of calms down in the run up to the um, to the next rest day. They go back down Alpe d'Huez and start from Bourg d'Oisin uh, the following day to Saint Etienne.
0: That then we got the segue to the Alpe d'Huez. Poss-
1: possibly be a sprint. I'm not sure. Uh, there's a Stage 14 on the 16th of July is just made for the break, little lumpy transitional stage through central France. And I think I think stage 15 will be a sprint from when they finish in Carcassonne as well.
0: Okay. And that will then take us into what our next rest day.
1: That takes us to the 18th of July, which is the next rest day.
0: Wonderful. Do you have any bold claims this week, Tom, for what you think will happen? Do you think Kali Pogacar's 39 second advantage will be bigger <laughs> or smaller by the next rest day?
1: I would imagine it will be bigger. It's a boring um, answer, but I mean, in terms of bold claims, you should see my captaincy choices every day because there's always a, a stupid rider in there. it. Was probably Tim Wellens today.
0: Yeah, you're. For anybody interested in what's going on with our fantasy teams, um, and Tom, I don't know why you keep bringing it up because you are doing phenomenally badly. Um, I'm currently winning. Am I currently winning? Am I still winning? I would imagine so. I'm. St- I'm winning. Um, Tom decided he would make the. His one differential this race, the fact that he was not going to have Taddy Pogacar in his team and that he'd go with Jonas Vinyagais as his main leader. And that hasn't worked out very well.
1: It's been all right. It's it, it was it was Matthew Vanderpol was the problem for me. He's very expensive and he's really not done anything.
0: Yeah, he's not done anything. I mean, this is what I was thinking with Vanderpol is think back to the Netflix thing, right? They have probably got this whole, you know, preamble about him being the most explosive rider in the world, highlights from Stradi highlights from this and all of the footage they have is him getting spat out the back <laughs> um it's not yeah he's not probably having a not good the time. narrative they were hoping to to pedal here
1: no it probably won't be much of a focus on him
0: no um and it's also a shame i think that um julian alaphilippe is not getting a look in at this series
1: yeah i mean he's he's definitely back riding and uh cuz i've seen his insta stories so he i would imagine he could be lining up something late in the season he'll have a go at the I don't know Vuelta and Lombardia or something.
0: Well we know what he's gonna do. He's gonna win the world championships again.
1: He can't win it again.
0: He could win it again. <laughs> Tom as we progress through the next few stages. You know what I'm probably gonna post some some pictures and bits from from the Alps and where, if people are interested in seeing that, where can they find it?
1: They can go to tdpdcst which is TT podcast with all the vowels taken out on Twitter and Insta.
0: Wonderful. Um, well, I'm looking forward to the next few stages. Um, I will be shouting responsibly at the riders from a safe distance, not giving any COVID, not that I have COVID, but just in case, uh, just being a very well-mannered, responsible roadside spectator like the Danes were. I'm taking, you know, that's where I'm getting my uh, my role models from. Um, Tom, I imagine you'll be watching as much of this race as you can.
1: Uh, yeah, I certainly will be
0: wonderful and we will speak on the next rest day
1: we will looking forward to it unless you wins on thursday
0: and i'm very much looking forward to that (laughs) when he does i'm going to be so annoyed that i haven't put a bet on um maybe right Time time, time to wrap this up time to wrap it up thank you very much for listening we'll speak to you soon enjoy the alps thanks everyone